Today on the Everything 80s Podcast, it's the story of Saturday night's main event, the WWF's free pay-per-view five times a year. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie, thanks for coming on out today. The 1980s were a real golden era for professional wrestling. The then WWF was hitting its trajectory and the advent of WrestleMania had pushed it to the forefront. The company would capitalize on its success by airing what was the equivalent to a pay-per-view several times a year on network television. Saturday Night's main event was a pro wrestling show that ran from 1985 to 1992 on NBC. It would replace Saturday Night Live at various points throughout the year and offer pay-per-view level matches. And that's what we're going to look at here today. Before we start, a few things. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. And this is a Patreon-suggested episode. And Patreon is... A platform where you were able to support this show with like a small monthly donation and there's different tiers and at the different tier levels there's different rewards and at one of the um, higher tiers is a reward like this where you can suggest episodes to cover and speaking of that if you are part of the Boba Fett level or above I just put out a new movie review for the everything 80s movie club where I look back at the great little shop of horrors and a lot of the amazing stuff that went into producing this movie that I was not aware of so if you haven't already check your feed there on patreon okay let's get to Saturday night's main event I can't even explain just to start with my own story what a big deal saturday night's main event was to me it's safe to say that wrestling was my entire life when i was a little kid and getting the chance to see saturday night's main event was like getting an extra christmas there were a few times that i was allowed to stay up late to watch it at the very least i would get it taped so i could watch it the next day and This was required viewing for a wrestling craze kid as it was an important show to set up feuds and advance storylines and to go into big events like WrestleMania, of course. And all my friends were wrestling craze too. So you didn't want to go to school Monday without knowing what had gone down. But when the show first started, I was way too young to stay up and watch. The other problem is we didn't have a VCR yet, so there was no way to record it. Like This is back in 85 when it took a while for the VCR to become commonplace. And I've done an episode, if you want to go back, 
into the archives all about the history of the VCR and the VHS versus beta wars. And, uh, and another way to see everything I'm talking about today is by going to the show notes, which is the blog version of this, where I have links to some of these other episodes I'm talking about, um, some video clips, all that sort of stuff. So wherever you're watching, uh, or sorry, listening to this, there should be a link that will take you to um, see the show notes and the details of everything. This is how far back I go here, depending on your age. I remember my dad audio taping the show onto cassette tape so I could listen to it the next day. This is like way before we got a VCR. And it, it seems so archaic, but to me, it was amazing. And again, home video was still relatively new. And the concept of being able to watch something on repeat as often as you wanted was still a relatively foreign concept. And this is what I say. The VCR is one of the most important uh, inventions in pop culture history because for the first time, it allowed people to pour over these things they loved and watch them multiple times. Like originally you got to see something in the theater and that was it. And then maybe you would see it when it aired on TV years later, but you didn't have the ability to appreciate every scene and rewind and everything like that. So the VCR was a a massive invention when it comes to uh, everything pop culture. Personally, I was just over the moon that I could still listen to what was happening. I'll I'll share a few more of my own memories of Saturday Night's main event and specific incidents as this goes on. But this is just a look back at a pretty groundbreaking show that was a huge thrill to kids like me. So we'll do, of course, the issue of pro wrestling is an entire podcast channel all of itself. So we'll do a quick recap if this is sort of new to you or if you need a refresher on the state of pro wrestling up to that point. And in the 70s and going into the early 80s, professional wrestling was divided up into territories throughout North America. There, there were dozens of them. I think there was upwards of 30 plus. There was Mid-South Wrestling. Um, up here in Canada, we had Stampede Wrestling run by the legendary Hart family. And all these different territories. There was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation in the Northeast. Each territory would have its own stars, and it wasn't really common for wrestlers to expand beyond their region. You didn't really cross boundaries. You, you, you know, you could loan out your wrestlers and every, everything like that, but you wouldn't put on a show if you were like in Mid-South. You wouldn't put on a show in Oregon with all your stars because that was someone else's territory. This would slowly change, though, you know, when athletes like Andre the Giant were going from territory to territory as an attraction. In the Northeast, Vince McMahon Sr. was running what would become the WWF. His son, Vince, would take over from his father, and he had a very unique idea. He believed he had a better product, and he was starting to poach wrestlers from other territories, such as the Junkyard Dog or Hillbilly Jim, and a new up-and-comer that had gone by names such as Terry Boulder, Sterling Gold. You probably know him better as Hulk Hogan. McMahon believed he had a better product, and he wanted to go head-to-head with all the different territories. But McMahon was warned about this because of the unspoken rule that you just don't cross the territories. Um, But things were changing, and probably the biggest change was the advancement of cable television. McMahon could now record his shows and air them all over the country. He didn't even have to go into other territories. He could be immediately beamed into TV sets and living rooms throughout the nation. So to sum it up quick, 
This approach obviously worked. From here, the WWF, built on the popularity of Hulk Hogan, soon took the country by storm. Their initial partnerships with MTV, if you remember the rock and wrestling connection, gave them more exposure. McMahon then threw everything he owned into a giant one-night-only spectacle called WrestleMania. Apparently, he had mortgaged his house. He had not told his wife, Linda, apparently. Like, they put everything on the line. If WrestleMania 1 had not worked, we wouldn't be here talking about this today. Obviously, it did. So now we set the stage for Saturday night's main event. If you're a wrestling fan these days... There is so much content. I mean, just between WWE and NXT and AEW and TNA Impact, and each of them has their own pay-per-views. And there's probably 100 pay-per-views each year, just spread out through the year. Plus the weekly shows. Like if you're a WWE fan, there's a three-hour Monday Night Raw. There's a two-hour SmackDown. If there's a pay-per-view going on again, that's another three hours. If you want, there is so much content, it's ridiculous. Back in the 80s, there were only a couple of pay-per-views. It would take several years until the big four became part of the WWF. And that would include WrestleMania, of course, Survivor Series, the Royal Rumble. The first one actually was done here uh, near me in Hamilton, Ontario. It was invented by the late Pat Patterson. Uh, and then SummerSlam. These all wouldn't be in place, though, until the end of the decade. So they needed something that could serve as a big showcase event. Again, this is still the 80s where TV reigned supreme. Pay-per-view was still in its infancy. Uh, it was very expensive. It was also not available to everyone. Some arenas could also um, offer closed circuit showings, which, again, uh, depending on your age, this might sound absolutely archaic, which it probably is. Chris Jericho has this funny thing where he talks about... Um, closed circuit is sold like they invented fire the wheel and then closed circuit television and this is basically where arenas would just put on a movie screen and, and do this closed circuit presentation and i remember my city doing it at our sports arena where our local team the london knights played their hockey and again it was so expensive it was so like it just wasn't accessible to a lot of people so tv was Again, the way to reach a nationwide audience. And, and, you know, cable was becoming so powerful. And then if you remember back to these days, if you're a wrestling fan, there were shows primarily on the weekends, primarily on Saturday, various WWE programming, including, if you remember, like Superstars of Wrestling, Wrestling Challenge, Primetime Wrestling. Here in Canada, we had Maple Leaf Wrestling. And these are all shows you would watch that would catch you up on everything happening in the WWF. And if you remember these shows, you probably remember how lackluster they were. The big thing, again, back then was promoting the live shows. And that's where you would hopefully see a lot of the stars. But these shows would summarize and recap things that were going. And they the thing is, they didn't have many wrestlers you didn't really know or love and the shows never featured any big angles and you also got a limited amount of the big superstars as they were trying to push them again more in the live events you would almost never see hulk hogan which is all i wanted as a kid on any of these shows if a big superstar say such as the macho man or big john stud was on one of these you know superstars wrestling shows it was usually for just a squash match against some unknown jobber it, it, apologies if these are wrestling terms that are 
unknown to some people, but like a squash match is just a match that ends how it sounds. It's over in like 10 seconds and the superstar just beats the crap out of what they call a jobber. Who's basically just there to service the superstar and make them look good. Basically on these shows, you would never see a big superstar matchup. Uh, you would never see titles on the line, or everything like that. But Saturday night's main event would change all of this. Let's look at the beginnings of Saturday night's main event. So Saturday night at 11.30 p.m. is, of course, the long-running time slot for Saturday Night Live. But if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live, you know they don't run every single week, and they don't run through the summer. Uh, They would go, and I'm not sure if there's always been a regular schedule, if it's like two weeks on, one off, three weeks on, one off, whatever. But there, there was basically downtimes. And so several times a year, there was an open spot on Saturday night. Dick Ebersol, if you know him, the big time sports producer for NBC and everything like that, he was actually a producer for Saturday Night Live in the early 80s. He was also friends with Vince McMahon. He thought, what about using the downtime from SNL to air WWF programming? Ebersol, you know, could not ignore how rapidly the WWF was growing and the ratings they had, especially with those MTV crossovers, were pretty mind blowing. Again, There's a link in the show notes to an episode and a blog I wrote all about uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, if you remember that cartoon show. And this was also covering a lot of the importance of the MTV WWF crossover, which really launched both of the companies. Um, They sort of used each other to um, sort of push themselves more and more into the mainstream, that rock and wrestling connection. And they had these actual wrestling events on MTV, like the one I said, uh, there's one, the the war to settle the score, the brawl tended, all these different things. And that's when Cindy Lauper was involved um, and all that sort of thing. And, and these were like wrestling shows aired on MTV. So like if you grew up in the 80s, you remember this because it was gigantic at the time. So basically, Ebersol knows it's a good idea to maybe get the WWF back onto primetime TV. So he made a deal with Vince McMahon, apparently just a straight up handshake deal as these two are lifelong friends. Um, and they wanted to air a made for TV event several times a year. The first edition of Saturday Night's Main Event aired on May 11th, 1985, took place at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Long Island, New York. I've been there for some hockey games. It, no offense if you're from there. That is an archaic old building, but it's it's hosted a lot of big wrestling events. And fun fact here, these, unbeknownst to me, these events were never live, um, and they were either taped the day before up to a few weeks before. So this first edition of Saturday Night's Main Event only featured a few matches, but they were big ones. You had the Junkyard Dog versus Pete Doherty. You had the U.S. Express and Ricky Steamboat versus Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik and George the Animal Steel. You had Wendy Richter and Cindy Lauper versus the Fabulous Moolah. That's, again, to capitalize on that previous MTV events. And then you had Hulk Hogan and Mr. T versus Cowboy Bob Orton and Roddy Piper. And if you know your wrestling history, this is pretty much a rehash of WrestleMania 1, which had only just happened a few months before but it didn't matter as the wwf was super hot and over 10 million people tuned in giving an 8.8 rating it was easier to get big ratings like this in the 80s but this is still late at night on saturday night when if snl's not on not a lot of people are watching tv so this is a big deal as Saturday Night's Made event was doing better than many SNL episodes. So the very best rating for an SNL season in the 80s was the 1980-81 season that did a 9.5 rating. And things would get a lot better for Saturday Night's Made event. 
The second edition of, of Saturday Night's Main Event would take place six months later on November 2nd, 1985 from New Jersey. This time there were five huge matches, including Hulk Hogan versus Nikolai Volkov with classy Freddie Blassie in his corner, of course. There was also uh, Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff versus Roddy Piper and Andre the Giant and Tony Atlas versus Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy. Side note here, side story. My aunt once ran into Big John Studd in an airport and got his autograph for me. And it was one of the most prized possessions of my entire life. Speaking King Kong Bundy, I also got to meet him very briefly at a small indie show years later that my city would put on. And he was actually pretty nice. I mean, he was busy with other people. He was carried, he carried around a pol- his own Polaroid camera and would take pictures and then sell the pictures to kids. This show did another impressive 8.3 rating. It's important to note that there were no other pay-per-views yet besides WrestleMania. Survivor Series wouldn't debut until 1987. So if you wanted to see big matchups, you would have to wait till Saturday night's main event. The other big thing to note is that Saturday night's main event featured title matches, which you wouldn't see on other WWF programming. It was, I'm not sure if you watch wrestling as much these days. I, I check it out every now and then. Titles change hands on a daily basis. But back then, when you had the title, if you remember, you had it for a year. You know, it was a long time. A title change was a big deal. And on Saturday night's main event, you would see title changes. And this was mind-blowing. The show was such a big ratings hit that they could feature these gigantic moments and title changes and then create important storylines and angles. You would never see this, you know, like a title change or even a title shot on Superstars of Wrestling. A significant episode of Saturday Night's Main Event would take place on March 1st, 1986 from Phoenix, Arizona. This is one, as I tell in probably my last story here, this one is cemented in my mind and it was one that I listened to on cassette tape. This was the night that Hulk Hogan faced the magnificent Morocco. Hogan defeated Morocco, but was then attacked by Bobby Heenan and King Kong Bundy, if you remember any of this. Hogan would face continuous assaults and avalanches from Bundy and splashes to the point he was knocked unconscious. I'm using quotes here. I remember crying about this because Hogan was my hero and he had been viciously attacked and had his ribs broken and was knocked out. I never saw this footage till later and again had to listen to this whole attack on cassette tape and wrestling was all too real to a little kid like me in the 80s so I just I recall how upset I was about this thing and again if you know your wrestling history this event would set the stage for Wrestlemania 2 where Hogan with his tape ribs would face King Kong Bundy in a steel cage match and I was just remembering back if you ever had the toy wrestling ring as a kid you remember the blue steel cage that would attach on the sides Again, this episode was another massive event that did a 10.0 rating. Interesting thing, just side, try not to go crazy heavy on wrestling stuff. WrestleMania 2 is a very interesting show because it, Vince wanted to one-up everything from WrestleMania 1. So it took place, if you remember, in three different locations. One was Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. One was the Rosemount Horizon in Chicago. And one was in Los Angeles. So when they started out uh, east at Nassau and they did an hour there when it was done screens would lower down from the ceiling and that arena would watch everything that was happening in Chicago when the hour in Chicago was done then the screens would drop down there both arenas would then watch what happened in LA and that's where the steel cage match happened and it was interesting 
uh, looking at an interview of Vince McMahon talking about this, about what a stupid risk that was because he was saying the technology today would be still tough to pull off this sort of event, let alone back in, uh, what's this, 86. So again, it was a miracle they pulled this thing off and that nothing went down or was ruined or everything like that. So the thing is, each edition of Saturday Night's Main Event is just getting bigger and bigger. To me, the very best episode was episode nine that aired on January 3rd, 1987. Uh, you're going to have to, again, if you're at the show notes for this, I've linked the video for those aw- awesome opening segments. I used the intro music at the start to, uh, or if not, just look up on YouTube opener for Saturday Night's Main Event number nine. Okay. So things are obviously going to start to slow down. Granted, this took a while to happen, but we all know Saturday Night's Main Event didn't last forever. Through 1987 and 1988, it was still a massive ratings hit. It would regularly regularly attract 10 plus million viewers and was an advertiser's dream because it had this absolutely frenetic audience that was so built in of that perfect male demographic. The big one would happen on March 14th, 1987, episode 10 from the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, which I've been to many times. Rest in peace, that arena. This was the last event before the monumental WrestleMania 3 from the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan. And it was the first time we saw Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant face each other before this historic match. If you remember the whole storyline of... Uh, Hulk Hogan on Piper's Pit and Andre turned on him and went with Bobby Heen and they did this thing and then uh, Andre ripped off his shirt and his gold chain and Hogan was crying and this whole thing and that set up that match. If you've watched that documentary, the ESPN documentary on Andre the Giant, Hogan in that scene, if you're ever looking this back, he wanted to make himself cry and he put uh, Vic's vapor rub on his finger and he was going to rub it in his eye that was going to make him cry but... Um, cry, but Andre was so strong, he was throwing him around like a rag doll. You can see Hogan trying to get his finger up to his eye, but he can't get it in there and everything. But the moment was so powerful, it worked. So this was the first time at this Saturday Night's Main event that they were going to see each other. The two were featured in a battle royal. And, you know, of course, we wait in anticipation for the two to lock horns. It never happens. Finally, there's a moment where Hogan is slingshot and he bumps into Andre in the middle of the ring. It's the first time we've actually got to stare each other down. Everyone in the ring sort of parts like the Red Sea. The crowd's going nuts. Um, A few shots are taken. Coco Beware jumps in. Everyone schmozzes on top, breaks it up. It's basically the perfect tease to see them almost match up and then build the anticipation for the biggest wrestling event in history. This episode did a massive 11.6 rating and to this day remains the highest rating that any show in that time slot has ever done. By this point, as I mentioned, I was saying, you know, Saturday Night's Main Event is like the free pay-per-view five times a year. At this point, it had settled into a nice schedule, and they would air an episode on New Year's weekend, sometime in late February, early March, one in late April, early May, one in late September, early October, and then Thanksgiving weekend. And you can see how all these perfectly correspond to the Royal Rumble in the early part of the year, WrestleMania in the spring, SummerSlam, and then the Survivor Series in the fall. But interest in pro wrestling would start to diminish in the early 90s. Some of the stars were leaving. Hogan was moving towards Hollywood. He would then leave the company altogether in 1993 for rival WCW. NBC also was just not interested in professional wrestling anymore. It's that golden era had sort of stopped and they decided to drop the show. 
The final episode aired on April 27, 1991. It would be picked up by Fox to air a couple episodes, but the very last edition of the original Saturday Night's Main event took place November 14, 1992. That event featured the Ultimate Maniacs, the Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage versus Money, Inc., which was Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister, a.k.a. R.I.S. It also featured a young Shawn Michaels versus the British Bulldog. Fun fact, if you're a current wrestling fan, Erwin R. Scheiser is the real-life father of Bray Wyatt, or The Fiend, as you may know him. So then there's the resurrection of Saturday Night's Main Event. The show had been off TV for 14 years until it was brought back in 2006. The now WWE was a much different place than when the show last aired. They were into a new era. New stars like The Rock had come and sort of already gone. This event took place on March 18, 2006 from the Kobo Arena in Detroit. One way that made this show so different from its predecessor was the inclusion of legitimate women's wrestling. Episode 32 featured Canadian Trish Stratus versus Mickey James. It also featured the soon-to-be face of the company, John Cena. Several more editions of this modern Saturday Night's main event would take place going into 2008. They were fun as they featured the original introduction promo style that was used in the original show. They didn't do great ratings-wise, but this is a whole new world of television and content. There, were, there was much more to compete with, and it was tougher to create any interest in it for younger fans as Saturday night's main event didn't necessarily mean anything to them. There was just too much you know, content on TV, and this was just another show. The very last episode took place on August 2nd, 2008 from the Verizon Center in Washington, D.C. By this point, there was such little interest in the show that thousands of free tickets had to be given away to help fill the arena. The very last match in Saturday Night's Main Event history featured Edge versus Jeff Hardy. Okay, I'll start winding it down here. So you can probably tell this this show is a huge part of my childhood, maybe yours too. And it was a pivotal part of the success of the WWF and then going into the WWE. Like the rest of the company, they built the event on the back of Hulk Hogan. As I mentioned at the start, you would almost never see Hogan wrestle in the syndicated cable shows. He was perfectly used as an attraction, just teased enough and used sparingly to build more excitement around him. I remember one of the, it wasn't even summer, it might have been SummerSlam in 87 or 88. I'm not even sure if that was the event. There was basically a gigantic event at the CNE in Toronto, which held like, 60 to 80,000 people and Hogan was going to be in it. And this was like front page news on newspapers. Like this is back at the time when Hogan would appear on the cover of sports illustrated. I remember our newspapers would print wrestling results. This was a huge deal that he was coming to this event. I didn't get to go. I had a friend who got to go. I think it took place in late August. Uh, and that's, that's how big a deal Hogan was and how he was just this ultimate attraction Okay, actually, last fun fact. I got to go to WrestleMania 18, which, if again, if you know your wrestling, was in the Toronto Sky Dome, and it was Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. And, what, you know, I totally understand people who think wrestling is ridiculous or stupid, and I can see the point, but this is a legitimate life highlight. I've been to a lot of amazing sporting events through um I've seen Wayne Gretzky play. I've been to Wimbledon. I've seen English Premier League soccer. I've been to Yankee State. I've seen so much stuff. This is at the top of the list. If you've seen this match or if you want to look it up on YouTube, I know it sounds over-exaggerating to say a building is shaking. It's so loud that it's so loud. It was actually shaking. I can, like, 
physically put myself back into that situation during that Hogan rock match when Hogan hulks up and goes back to his old roots and everyone in the entire old 65,000 people turned back into an eight-year-old kid and the building is actually shaking. I'm getting like goosebumps thinking about it right now. Um, so no matter what you think, events like this are absolutely epic and that was one of them. So, you know, if, if Saturday Night's main event wasn't a success, it became, I don't know if we would have seen the WWF succeed as well too. Um, I don't know if Hogan would have been as big a star because it would have been tougher to showcase them or they would have had to like use different other, other TV programs. And I don't know, it it would have messed up everything. Obviously, whatever they put in place worked perfectly. And the show became a mainstay in their whole success. And the, they sort of fell into this perfect way to build interest for pay-per-views and to sell more buy rates and everything like that. So it was kind of a happy accident. The heyday of Saturday Night's main event is really, I guess, what people consider the golden age of professional wrestling. The business always has its ups and downs. It goes in cycles, but it really stayed strong and steady for the entire 1980s. Going into the early mid-90s, they would face a real decline in ratings and quality. It's just the nature of the business. Again, all of this would change, however, as the Monday Night Wars would start to heat up in the 90s as they would go up against WCW. It was also around this time that a beer-drinking redneck wrestler from Texas would change the world of pro wrestling forever, gave birth to the Attitude Era, and then what is considered the most lucrative time in the history of the business, the full Attitude Era and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'll finish it there before this goes way off the rails. Probably more wrestling information than you needed to know, but thank you for listening to this show. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. And if you wanted to learn more about Patreon and the different um, reward levels and a way to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash 80. So that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 80S or wherever you're listening, there should be a link that will take you there too. So to quote the late, great Billy Red Lions from Maple Leaf Wrestling, I will be back next week with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.